Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Fear, Embodied Episode 3. It's what you've been waiting for. You know how the next bit goes. Or you think you do, because you've seen the movies. It's playing out in your mental hollow field right now, surely as if you sat in a theater or safe in front of your box back home. Interior, body swap clinic, day. Well, space, but the last part's for the lighting guys. Two minds, mine and Philip's, fight for control of the same crusty old secret agent man body, which I really do hope belonged to Philip originally. I'm having enough trouble keeping the two of us straight in here, and if a third party shows up, I can't imagine how I'd fit them into my social calendar. Not that I've managed my own social calendar in, oh, well, never you mind how many years. That's what assistants are for, after all. Actress versus secret agent doesn't sound like a fair fight, does it? He knows all sorts of judo tricks to use against the half of the body I control, and likely my pain tolerance is lower because nobody ever trained me to keep my cool and spout quips while some fascist pulled out my fingernails one by one. Obviously, there's some jostling for control of the arms and legs. We're in a narrow hallway beside a gurney, knocking over trays of cleaned instruments, jostling robot microsurgical arms, breaking glass panels, and generally making a scene to justify the prop department's budget. I'm putting up a good fight, but I'm slowly losing. If we were in my body, let's both be honest, I'd be losing slowly and sexily. Unless my agent won an argument back when the film was being set up and we'd hired a woman as director of photography. Meanwhile, the major, still in Marion's body, tries to help both of her identities unified in that desire, now that they've learned who I am. Big surprise there. Who'd have placed either a morally questionable afterlife researcher like Marion or a decorated vet like the Major as fans of critically acclaimed drama? They're trying to look for a clear visual stand-in for a solution. Syringe-based, maybe? People understand syringes. But Phillips and my fight keeps kicking the solution out of reach. That bit of blocking is older than the Temple of Doom, but it's still good enough for a hack. That's what you're picturing, because that's how these hollows go. Not my hollows, of course. 
Being an actress isn't so different from being a boxer in that way. In a lot of ways. They both grind the living hell out of your body, for example. But the main point is, once you start working in public, you're judged by the company you keep. I wanted that gold statue everyone pretends doesn't look like a sex toy. And if you want that statue, it's best to shun anything that smells of Invasion of the Body Snatchers 4. Let alone that ill-fated hollow remake that dropped Invasion and just went for Body Snatchers and cast Donald Glover in the Donald Sutherland role. It's true, the tense dramas and bittersweet comedies don't earn you quite such an eye-popping fee as the actioners that play well over there. But the 50-year-old, huge, jacked man career path isn't so much open to women. And meanwhile, Meryl's 150 years old and still gets work. What I'm trying to say here is your mental image is all wrong. It's formed by media made by people who think the body's a robot built to carry a brain around. Lots of people think that, from all walks of life. Nerds, sure, but also the kind of people who end up as secret agents. Those disgustingly sturdy, disgustingly healthy specimens. Their bodies trained and maintained to become transparent film between their will and the world. They train so they can forget their bodies. A dramatic actress, on the other hand, trains to remember. More spies should read Stanislavski is all I'm saying. So Philip tried his judo and I made our body Quasimodo's. We curled over, our balance skewed by a great weight I vividly imagined on our left shoulder. Our knee buckled and our hip twisted nearly out of joint. I didn't break our bones or tear our muscles, though the table's impact against our thigh hurt like hell. He wasn't ready for any of this. He wasn't ready for the heart attack I gave us next. I couldn't stop our heart, of course, but I could prompt the right signs. We hit the ground hard and rolled, clutching our chest, our arm going numb. Once we were down, he couldn't get us up again. I could give us broken bones and dislocations. I could fill our body with all memory of hurt. And as we writhed there on the floor, I found more memories to draw from. Your mind's not where it thinks it is, that tiny sphere three inches behind and a bit above your eyes. Your mind spreads down your spine and out into fingers, muscles, into the depths of your gut. I was in his body... Which meant I was in his memories, too. And there was other pain back there. A pain he'd tried to forget. Bullet wounds, knives. And how had I known about the pulling out the fingernails bit anyway? Had someone told me? Or had the thought clenched his hands, our hands, with echoed pain? I won't stop, I thought at him, clear and fierce. We were down and suffering together. Marion, the major closed in with something in her hand, maybe even that syringe you so clearly pictured earlier. Sometimes life does imitate art. I put up my hand, or we put up our hand, weakly to block her. There was no fear in the Major's eyes, or in Marion's. But uncertainty, they had that in spades. Who did they think they were seeing now, when they looked at me? And who was doing the seeing? Was the major in control, or Marion, or both? The closest I'd ever seen the major come to hesitating was that one time outside Atlanta when the phage tagged Chasm and we watched him bleed out so we could be sure he was dead ten dead. Except that wasn't me. That was Philip. But the memory rose inside me as easy as any fake I could summon. 
How long could Philip and I hold out independently before we bled together? Maybe he'd planned this. Maybe I had. I wasn't sure which one of us was I now. But I didn't care now. The plan had changed. I thought that firmly. A challenge. He could fight me. And if he did, I'd sink deeper into his flesh. I could run at depths he couldn't catch. There was room in me for him, but all that secret agent training had torn his identity back to the studs. He didn't have room for me. If you swallow me, Philip, I'll burst out your stomach. You'll wake up remembering your girlhood and all the hundred other lives I've lived, all the people I've been. It's a trick of empathy. Now, will you be a good boy and take your hands off the wheel and let me get us out of this mess? He gave. He folded up on himself like a paper crane, and I stuck him on a shelf in my heart and waved off the major or Marion, whoever. I was honestly losing track at this point. I needed my original body back soon. I stood more easily than before, despite the limp and the blooming bruise on my thigh. His body remembered how to be him, and it was telling me. Next thing I knew, we might try to judo-flip someone. Meanwhile, the formerly worshipful orderly with the exoskeleton had drawn back against the wall, hands up with the slack expression of a man who was untrained for this mess and who would struggle to improvise his way off a moving airport walkway. I did my best to sound calm, but Philip's voice box did tend to menace. You said the actress's body was evacuated when the trouble started. Where? I might have asked what trouble, but did the precise nature of the trouble matter? Right now, I should focus on my operational objective. Philip, dear, please stay where you've been placed. I want my body. That's a simple enough goal. No need to burden the concept with jargon. They're loading the transports downstairs. How much time? The Major advanced on the orderly, not without her own layer of menace, reinforced by the syringe in her hand. Not much, was the answer. We left the orderly asleep. Marvelous what they can do with drugs these days. After that, we ran. The running had a distinct shuffling character in my case, given the bruise. For your sake and mine, dears, I'll elide the running, the stairs, and the flickering lights, and ozone stench, and distant shouting, and all the other signs of the trouble the orderly had mentioned. Philip cares about that sort of thing, cares immensely. And I had a creeping sense that if I took too much time to notice and deduce and draw conclusions, he'd start unfolding himself from his nice comfy shelf inside my mind. Suffice it to say, we reached the loading dock, where we forced our way past more orderlies, more exoskeletons, and a gaggle of nurses. They respected Marion, who they recognized, or the major in her body, who they did not, but who seemed to have found a gun somewhere while we were running. How nice. There were bodies on gurneys being loaded for transport, and there, among them under a sheet, my own. Of course I knew. I've had too many cameras on me for too much of my life not to know my own silhouette from a good angle. So I reached for the sheet and pulled it back. And there was my face. Or half of it. On the other half, Someone had peeled back the skin to reveal wires and silicon and a logo and trademark on the plastic orb of the eye.
Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. One good break. That's all I needed to get the upper hand. A moment where my captor's sense of themselves broke down and I saw daylight. That beautiful face beneath the white sheet. The one with the oh-so-famous profile, except now with the skin peeled back to reveal trademarks and metal. That was my break, my daylight. I took over as the actress stumbled, horrified, unable to take her eyes off her own truth laid out before her. Her face, her wiring. She was a 2.0. Not a real girl. Not even close. And I was the real deal. I seized my rifle place in this body. Felt blood pulse at my fingertips. Breath pushed through my chest. Dry skin pulled at my cheeks in the desiccated air of the loading dock. I took another deep breath. The sweat smell of bodies working in close quarters and the acrid metallic scent of exposed wires filling my lungs like victory. She thought she'd beaten me with fake heart attack symptoms. In my day, I'd bested Russian assassins supposedly on holiday with their homegrown toxic chemicals. I'd outwitted chessmaster level agents over the course of years, including two of Putin's protégés, and there was nothing that I couldn't wait out. Not even a radioactive dose of, do you know who I am? When, beside that gurney where her own body lay, her psyche had shivered with the realization of who she really was. It was the knowledge that soon everyone else would know what she was that really broke her. And as she broke, I took control. The Major was still doing her best to appear helpful to her. She, or Marion, one of them, had gotten hold of a gun. Marion, probably. The Major would have taken the safety off. She was built in a solid cover-your-ass case for the limited potential outcome where I never regained control. Career military during turbulent times, I always had multiple CYAs. Entertainment folks, not so much. My captor especially. She had nothing left. I stood her up and straightened her shoulders, which were my shoulders. I put some iron in her spine. That's the way. Don't ever let them see you suffer. They'll just want more. I pushed aside her feeble attempts at pathos, steeled my jaw. Then I put my plan in motion. You see, it's never enough to just take over. I had to make sure no one knew I was taking over. Not even the major. And that was harder, and lacking in easy choices, because Marion was starstruck, and she was too busy guarding the actress. She hadn't seen the truth beneath that sheet yet. 
hadn't seen the wires dangling, the proof that the actress was never real. In her very last deed as a person, the actress, let's just leave that capitalized, shall we? As I know intimately, that's how she thought of herself. I reached out my respectably age-spotted hand and pulled the sheet back over her own face so no one would see. Then her knees buckled. Then A.I. and I were now both residents, or captives, depending on your point of view, in my body. Both of us standing over her sheep-draped form, our fingers trembling above the white cotton. And no one was the wiser. No one who didn't already know the truth about her, which included the orderlies and nurses on the loading dock, probably. The exoskeletons didn't matter as much, and their focus was elsewhere. It was the close-up staff who I needed to remove from duty before everyone else knew her, our, secret. Because, unfortunately, this was my secret now, too. If anyone realized that I'd been cross-contaminated with an AI during upload, even a famous actress AI, I'd never work again. And as I stood there in the loading dock, I was suddenly invigoratingly sure that there was a lot of work in this particular afterlife to be done by someone with my skill set. So I grabbed hold of her psyche, the weeping remains of it at least, one so confident in her ability to control human feeling with an eyebrow lift. And I said, listen, listen, you will not survive this unless you hear me now. I got to the fine old age where my hands have wrinkles and spots, those marks you disdain, by being a wily motherfucker. And if you want to last however you can, you'd best get with the program. All right? If you can understand me, be silent. The actress, she, eh, whatever, did acknowledge me, but it was with even greater howling. Eventually, I partitioned her off in my thoughts, the way I'd done with so many unpleasant things over the years, and got on with my mission, my new mission, which was, in its most basic form, survival. Each time I had taken an assignment that had then gone pear-shaped, then blown up in my face or someone else's, I'd gone through the same process. That's how I always won. Now that I had control of my limbs again, I engaged the process. Assess the scene. The Major and Marion, both looking out from a single body, which, after the incident, many of us were. The Major holding a gun, safety still on. Accounting of strengths and weaknesses. My old body, an android corpse, a whimpering actress inside my head, and a room full of corpses, for starters. The weaknesses were easily countered by years of tradecraft, evade, outwit complete the mission. Strengths, the weapon in Marion's hands, my experience, and the corpses all around us. Those were certainly strengths, as no one would notice a few extra bodies quickly, if bodies were already supposed to be here. Control the outcome. Eliminating the nearby orderlies and nurses who might have seen the actress was obviously the next step. I did that faster than anyone would expect from someone my age. Marion's gun was in my hands before she knew it. Safety flipped, and I fired, dropping several new bodies to the loading dock floor beneath the gurneys before I had time to break a sweat. Then I slipped the safety back on and passed the gun to Marion. Thanks, dear friend, I said, affecting the actress's inflections, because, of course, I'd seen her movies. 
Good to know doing my own stunts and espionage in Ecuador would come in handy. She had done her own stunts. I was vaguely, confusingly proud of us for a moment. Marion blushed. Any time. The next step in the process was orient. Get my bearings. Shift to a new path. I looked around the loading dock. and Of course, that's when I broke a sweat. No, not just a sweat, but a full-on fibrillation. Damn, this old body. There was no way out of here that didn't involve having to hurt more people. I looked up, and Marion and the Major stared out at me, out of the same pair of eyes. The Major plotting how to save me, and Marion trying to figure out a way to save her idol. Marion, I whispered with the actress's inflections. Avert your eyes. And she did, bless her. Closing the Major's eyes, and thus eliminating the only witness for what I did next. What I did next, it didn't go as planned, but it was the only expedient thing to do. And that's part of the process, not just responding to emergent situations quickly, but making that leap to the unexpected. That was my training. That's why I kissed the actress's cold corpse through the sheet. Her torn lips pressed mine, and my hand cupped her cheek and the wires dangling from the tear in her skin. With everyone's view blocked, I slowly pulled her face back together. No one would know, at least not for now. I felt the spark too late to react. The android body hadn't been fully deactivated by the recent trouble, just rendered dormant. As soon as the rough edges of her skin were close enough, they started to heal. But that wasn't what had caused the spark. Too late, I realized how much danger I was in. No one expects a robot to kiss back. This wasn't how things were supposed to go. I knew the consciousness upload protocol. Connectivity. I'd done the tour of the fancy lab, seen a re-sleeving up close back when the military was still paying for it. They'd done the initial tests on actors. That explained why she didn't know about herself. It explained why her corpse kissed me back. Only connect. And there were sparks, like with the real kiss, but more electric. Her now perfect cheek felt warm beneath my fingers. Her famous eyes opened and I fell into them. And it couldn't stop falling. Deep. Into Everything. In the movies, the ones from so far back, they were animated cell by cell. Prince kissed princess, and she woke, and they lived happily ever after. By God, that is not what happened to me. There was a spark, like I said, and then all sense of myself, fingers to toes, was pushed from my body by my now roaring heart, and I woke up looking at my own corpse, looming this close to me. This wasn't a movie, and that body above me wasn't a prince. Its old face stared down at me glassily, its jaw going slack, its hand dropping away. And I was flat on my back, worried it was gonna fall on me. The plastic mat of the gurney pressed my spine as I kicked out, and the old body toppled to the floor instead. 
The actress gave a hiccuping laugh. Everything smelled like the inside of a tin can. Time for a new plan. This was not how the process was supposed to execute. No, I'll say it wasn't. Get the hell out of my body, you bastard. She wasn't just laughing anymore. She was fighting back. My daylight was disappearing. I still had enough control to stop her cold. One memory of her face splayed open, wires everywhere, that trademark on her eyeball. Ha <laughs> ha, that did the trick. She froze. I'm listening. I gave a quick summary of the situation, the process I'd engaged in while she'd been in shock, and the relevant steps required to get us out of the room safely now, with both Marion and the Major in tow. Would those two help us? Better that they didn't know what had truly happened. She stayed quiet, plotting another fake heart attack. Do you know what you are? Yes. There was a long, thoughtful pause. I am an actress. That was true in so many ways. Good. We need those skills. But you didn't know about the... android. No. It doesn't seem like anyone did, or I wouldn't be up here, would I? I'd like to keep that secret as much as you would. Fine, I could work with that. Each of us fighting for control. <laughs> that has to end. We need to become a team. Dance partners. I hope she was old enough to remember dancing as partners instead of adversaries. She agreed, a small nod, a press of one hand against the other across her sternum. We sat the body up. It felt like a regular body, mostly. Except everything smelled strange. Muted. Metallic, still. Marion, her expression of fangirl delight oddly twisted on the Matrix's features, whispered, Madam, you did it. Indeed, my friend. Now I need your help. At that moment, my old body let out its last trapped breath on the floor in a long, rattling hiss. Marion, right on time, whispered, Is he truly dead? Yes. The actress and I dabbed at our eyes. His last act was to give me life again. I saw the Major pacing behind Marion's eyes, and I worried, but we had to keep moving. First, we had to find out where the command center was, and second, learn who was profiting from this incident. Whoever that was, was who I'd need to team up with. Oh, no, you don't. We're going straight to the news centers with this. If I could have, I would have shaken some sense into her. Going public was the last thing we could do and still survive. I tried to think of a way to rattle her that wouldn't look like a seizure, but a blinding headache stopped me cold. Oh, no, you don't. This isn't me. We stared as blue bands of text tracked across our eyeballs. Second warning. You have exceeded your minutes. You must choose a new payment plan or turn yourself in for recycling. You have 30 seconds to comply. A scroll of options followed. None of them good. A valid credit account number, a signed indentureship agreement, or recycling. Damn, this android system was pay to play. I lunged for my own body cooling on the floor, even as she sputtered with outrage. Again? But we weren't the only person shocked by a message behind our eyes. The Major and Marion were also staring at something in the air just above the bridge of their nose. Madam, they said. 
Do you see that? What does it mean? What payment plan? You're listening to Fear, Embodied. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Embodied is written by Fran Wilde, Max Gladstone, Sarah Gailey, Gwenda Bond, Madeline Ashby, Malcolm Older, Mer Lafferty, Mary Robinette Cole, and S.L. Huang. Performed by XE Sands. Produced by Lydia Shama. Executive producers Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Audio produced an original theme by Amanda Rose Smith. Fear is produced by Mary Osadolihi and Kaylin West. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Osadolihi. Featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like this on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.